0: It's great to see you here this morning. I uh, didn't do this for tomorrow. So I'll do it with you guys. It's, I really look forward to this time of just seeing people. And uh, I wake up about 5.30 on Sunday mornings. Some of you do that because you have little kids. I have no excuse, I'm just old. Um, but I get up and I just anticipate the morning and prepare myself and my heart for what's going to happen here. And I just really look forward to it. You know one of the things I was rejoicing in coming in today, I see Randy Hanson sitting there from Mills. but. The building's done. (laughs) I'm so happy, you know. They got grass seed out there and sprinklers going and God is so good. Isn't it great? We got a little teeny punch list of things, but ah, I just find myself breathing a lot easier now. It's just so good to have this facility and have uh, the opportunity that it's going to afford us to do ministry. I'm just so excited about it. Uh, Let's get into the message. Let's get into the message. Um, A couple of Hell's Angels were riding their bikes and they stopped at a crosswalk. And they uh, noticed as they were sitting there that a, a, a nun came walking across in front of them. She had her arm in a cast and a sling. And one of the bikers said to her, hey, what happened to you? And the nun said, I, I slipped uh, in the bathtub. And the biker said, oh, okay. And then they proceeded to drive down the road. And one biker looks at the other biker and says, what's a bathtub? And the other one says, I have no idea. I'm not Catholic. So at any rate, um, that's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> That's another side of age. I actually think those things are funny. But at any rate, uh, um, (coughs) ignorance isn't bliss. Sometimes ignorance gets you into trouble. And uh, we laugh at the bikers, but sometimes we think, well, ignorance, I don't know any better, so that won't hurt me. Yeah, what you don't know can hurt you at times, amen? Um, But on the other side of the spectrum, and this is what we're gonna talk on this morning, I think we have a tendency to overthink whether we're a Christ follower or have yet to give our lives to Jesus Christ. I think part of our human condition, part of the fallenness that we deal with, is this tendency to be too clever, to overthink, and to try to come up with human solutions sometimes to problems that don't even exist yet. This, this all makes sense as the message unfolds today. This morning, we're once again looking at the topic of adversity, but the angle today is that we're looking at adversity that we tend to manufacture within ourselves and then try to address It may may not even be a a, a problem. And we're going to use uh, the example of uh, Jeroboam, a king of Israel that came after Solomon. we're going to use his example because he ended up being too clever for his own good. And we're going to see some, I think, insight from his life that hopefully is helpful to us in our day and age. Um, Let me give you some background. The Israelites, um, they wanted to have a king. Initially, God was their king, and he had judges and prophets over them, but they looked at the nations around them and said, we want to be like the nations around us, and we want to have a king. Well, God gave them the request. But you know, when God gives you your request, it's not always best for you. So God gave them the request, but with it came a leanness of the soul, so to speak. They they were a little more distant from God, and now they were trying to put their trust in an earthly king, which was a grave mistake. And on comes the first king, King Saul. He's tall, and from all outward appearances, he appears that he should be a good king. He flames out. He's terrible. Then comes David a shepherd boy, and a lot of us, even if you're not associated with Christianity, we know the story of David, this ruddy boy that got elevated to king, and David was a man after God's own heart. He was a a king of renown, but he probably was the best king they ever had, second king, and then after him comes Solomon, his son, and Solomon does great things. He starts out fantastic, but he flames out at the end of his life. He had too many foreign wives, and they, they got him into wrong worship, and then after him comes Jeroboam, and that's whose story we're going to look at this morning. Um, we're going to see in Jeroboam that he was just too clever for his own good. But let me just read to you about Jeroboam here instead of telling you about him. I'm going to read from uh, 1 Kings 11, a lot of scripture this morning. If nothing else, you're getting a lot of scripture read to you today, amen? And so even if I, what I say you don't like, just listen to the scripture, okay? It's good stuff. Here we go. Also, Jeroboam, son of Nabat, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite, from uh, Zeradah. And his mother was a widow named Zeruah. Here is the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the terraces and had filled in the gap in the wall of the city of David, his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing. And when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way, wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Jeroboam, take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worship." Ashtoreth, the goddess of the uh, Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees and the laws as David Solomon's father did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David my servant, whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes." I will give one tribe to his son so that David, my servant, will always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. However, as for you, I will take you, and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be the king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David, my servant, did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. Solomon tried to kill uh, Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt to Shishak the king and stayed there until Solomon's death. So here's our big thought today. Here's our big thought I want you to grab a hold of. God calls his followers to faithfully follow his ways. Amen? That was the one requirement he said to Jeroboam. If you want this thing to thrive, if you want to be a king of renown, if you want to be a dynasty, follow my ways. God hasn't changed any. If you and I want to do well, If we want to succeed in life, one of the keys is to simply follow God's ways. Amen? It's it's simple. It's so simple sometimes that I don't think we believe it. But anyway, God calls his people to faithfully follow his ways. It's that simple. Now, hearing of Saul's death later on, Jeroboam returns to Israel. Um, Now Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is in line to take over the kingdom And so Jeroboam and gang approach Rehoboam with a request. They said, Solomon, your father, was too hard of a taskmaster. There you go. They're already learning a lesson that God tried to tell them, you don't want a king. He's not going to make your life easier. He's going to make your, your men serve in the army. He's going to make your women serve in his castle. And he's going to enslave you. You don't want a king. But they still wanted to be like the neighbors around them. And now they're realizing, oh, man, Solomon, he was a hard taskmaster. So they come to Rehoboam and they say, listen, make our task lighter. And the older counselors in Israel gather around Rehoboam and they say, listen. To this council, do what the people are requesting, and they'll forever be yours. But Rehoboam doesn't listen to the counsel of the wise and the older. He listens to the counsel of the friends he grew up with. And they're saying, Oh man, tell them if you think my dad was hard, you haven't seen anything yet. And so he says that to the people, and they basically say, Fui on you, Rehoboam. We're not following you anymore. And they left and they followed Jeroboam. And Jeroboam became then the king over. These 10 tribes, just like predicted by the prophet. This is where it gets dicey. This is where Jeroboam begins to overthink. This is where his imagination begins to run wild. This is where adversity begins to well up within his heart and he begins to see problems that aren't as all they are and he begins to make all kinds of scheming and do all kinds of cleverness to solve them. And you're going, what are you doing? Let me read this to you. Think about it this way. Jeroboam hasn't faced any issues yet. He's been put into king. Just as the prophet said, it's miraculous. He's got the ten tribes following him. Now listen to what happens. Listen to what takes place in his mind. See if you relate to this. I don't know how you are, but I know I'm really good at creating scenarios in my mind. How about you? I'm really good at fabricating things that aren't not going to happen as though they're going to happen. That's what this boy did. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 26 to 33. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. You see, God left that part of the kingdom under Rehoboam, right, under David. He left Jerusalem. That's where the people would go to worship. They will kill me. Okay, now we're going from they're going to worship here to they're going to kill him. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. I read this and go, what in the world are you thinking? Why was he made king? Because Solomon did this very thing. He took the people away from the worship of God. Right? So what's his solution to keep people around? I'll make some false gods. That seems like a good idea to me. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So what he's doing here is he's making religion really convenient. You don't have to go all the way to Jerusalem. Just stay around, hang around, man. You know, uh, I'm going to make this really easy and convenient for you. One he set up in Bethel, and the other in Dan, and this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines at high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the fifth day of the eighth month like the festival held in Judah and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing the calves he had made and at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the fifteenth day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. I'm sure he thought he was smart. Would you agree with me on that? I'm sure... Jeroboam thought, I'm clever. I'm going to figure out how to keep these people around and keep this kingdom under my control. Let's talk about the trappings of being clever, but here's what I want you to do. Put yourself into this. Think about how you react. Think about your internal thinkings and musings that happen in your life. See if you don't do some of this, because I know as I was looking at this, I think, I do this all the time, and it's wrong. It's wrong. So here we, we're going to talk this morning about how adversity can actually come from within our own souls. It doesn't necessarily have to be something happening to you. It can be starting right here. And we've got to learn to recognize that and stop it. But here, here, let's go to the trappings of being clever. The problem can begin with overthinking to yourself. Overthinking to yourself. Does anybody do that? You want to raise your hand and be brave? Does any of you in here overthink? No. I'm surprised at that. That's am I'm just joking. We tend to overthink. Um, here's Jeroboam. He's miraculously received the kingdom. And right away, he begins to think, oh my goodness, if they go to Jerusalem, they're going to return to their Lord Rehoboam, and then they're going to kill me. Nothing's happened yet, right? This is all in his imagination. It's all in his mind. Yet he comes up with what? An elaborate plan to stop something that's not even happening yet. And the plan is totally wrong. And he pretty much thought he was clever. God does not need our cleverness. That's the title of this message. He just does not need our cleverness. He needs our faithfulness, He needs our loyalty, He needs us to follow Him. And all. Jeroboam needed to do here was probably go to the Lord and say, I'm anxious about this, God. I'm nervous. I'm going to lay it at your feet, and I pray for your peace to come upon me. I'm going to trust that you who gave me this kingdom will continue to give me the kingdom. That's what he should have done. But instead, he comes up with this super elaborate plan that just seems like craziness when you read it uh, with, with a perspective like we have, not being in the middle of it. Years ago, I read a book that affected me quite a bit. It was a book by Jim Cimbala entitled Fresh Faith. One statement that leapt out to me in the book was this. Unbelief often clothes itself in being smart. Unbelief often clothes itself in being smart. Cleverness can be used as a substitute for our lack of faith. Do you agree with me on that? I I think I do some of this when I'm honest. Cleverness can be a substitute for a lack of faith. I know for about the last hundred years or so, the church has been kind of attacked as being an institution that's not very smart. And you'll hear it culturally spoken of all the time, smart people don't need the crux of religion. Smart people don't believe that there's a God who does miracles. Intelligent people just don't think that way. And we're hearing that all the time. And unfortunately, sometimes that invades into the church and we begin to incorporate smart ideas into the church when what we really need to be doing is what? Faithfully following the clear teachings and ways of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen? So, all we really need to be doing. A man was bothered with uh, bulging eyes. This is a made-up story. I'm going to tell you that. This man was bothered with bulging eyes, a flushed face, and ringing in the ears. So he went to one doctor after another, and they just couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. One doctor said, well, it's probably your tonsils. So they removed his tonsils. The next one said, well, maybe it's your appendix. So they took his appendix out. One thought, well, maybe it's your teeth. So they removed some teeth. But yet the ringing in the ears and the bulging eyes and the flushed face persisted. Finally, the last doctor he saw said, listen, you only got six months to live. So do with that what you would. And so the guy says, well, I might as well live it up. So he took all, took all his money out of his account, and he thought, I'm going to buy some new clothes. I'm going to get some really nice suits, and I'm going to go out and style. So he goes to his tailor, and his tailor measures them all up. And he says, "Ah, oh, yeah, neck size, 16 and a half." He says, no, my neck size is 15 and a half." No, your necktie is 16 and a half, and they argue back and forth. And the tailor said, "No, you're wrong." He said, "Well, just give me 15 and a half." He said, "Well, don't blame me if your face is flushed and your eyes are bulging and ringing in your ears." <laughs> nice story, isn't it? It's terrible, but <laughs> again, I don't—I didn't know if I should even share that. But anyway, the thing we do in life oftentimes because we're so clever. We get so caught up in our own misguided sometimes diagnosis of what's going on in our life that we're ignoring the simplicity of what God is telling us to do. And we can go through elaborate links at solving something when what we really need to do is ask God, what exactly am I to do here and how do I follow you faithfully? But we'll go through elaborate schemes uh, of cleverness of our own making. Let's talk about overthinking into unbelief. Unbelief does not trust God's ways. Simply, that's where it starts. When we, when we begin to rely on our own cleverness, it's simply because we don't believe in God's ways. Uh, a comedian was telling this story. He said, You know, when you live in the northern part of the country, frequently in the wintertime, you might be driving on a snow covered road, and what happens? You start to slide, right? Out of control. What do you do when you slide out of control with the steering wheel? Someone first hour said, You take your foot off the brake or off the gas, and said, Yeah, that's good. That's good. But that's not what I want to talk about. What do you do with the steering wheel when you go into a slide? Which way do you turn it? Into it, right? We're all taught that. I mean, you taught that in drivers. If you grew up in Minnesota or Wyoming or North Dakota or South Dakota or Wisconsin, you know this is fundamental driving. If you go into a slide on an icy road, you turn into the slide. Well, the comedian said, I knew that. I was taught that. But he said, when it begin to happen to me, I thought to myself, that's like stepping into a punch. That doesn't make any sense. And he turned the other way. What do you think happened to him? He just spun out and went into the road. And, and of course, the car ended up in the ditch. And what I, what I, the point of this is, is that, that oftentimes God's ways are like turning into the skid. They're counterintuitive if you have never done it before. Right? It just doesn't seem, that doesn't make sense. You know, we we tend to think, well, it doesn't make sense to me, so I'm going to do what I want to do. And unfortunately, our own cleverness is usually not very accurate and very fruitful. And so when God says to you and I, we're called to give up our lives to find life in Jesus, we go, but that's like stepping into the punch. That's like turning into the skin. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't, humanly speaking. That's why we can't rely on our cleverness. At some points in our life, we just have to rely on the revealed word of the God as being right and accurate. We must diminish for Christ to increase in us. For our lives to flourish, we have to get out of the way. Um, Death is no longer to be feared by us because death has lost its sting. Jesus has defeated death on the cross. So many people I see live their life fearful of death. They're making all these decisions fearful of that. That thing's still mastering us. But we're told by Jesus it no longer masters us. Right? Now I understand not wanting to suffer the process of death. Who wants to go through that? But death itself, we're not to fear that. Because greater is he who is in us than who is in the world, right? And sometimes we just need to step into these things, steer into the skid, rather than come up with our own clever solutions. will paint a bleak picture. I mean, look at what happened to to Jeroboam, my goodness, it went from worshiping in Jerusalem to they're going to kill me. Do you ever find yourself doing that? You you, you think there's going to be a problem. You begin to imagine the worst possible scenario and pretty soon you're in that scenario and nothing has happened yet. I don't know how you are, but whenever someone comes to visit me, I always think, oh no, now what's wrong? Do you ever think that? Even though 99% of the time it's a positive thing. And people are just, you know, fun. but I'm thinking right away, okay, what happened? What's wrong? Do you do that? Does anybody else do that? I mean, that's kind of a common way of, 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 of thinking, you know, and it's, it's totally wrong. Um, sometimes the adversity that we face in our own life, it's just simply adversity of our own making. And you know what I'm going to tell you right now to do about it? Stop it. Stop doing that. Stop thinking that way. Stop letting your imagination run wild. Stop doing that and begin. If that happens, you say to yourself, stop it. People around you are wondering what's going on. That's okay. It's better to look a little crazy than become crazy. Amen? I mean, really say to yourself, stop this. It's not true. It's, it's my imagination. Stop it and, and begin to... Say, God, I'm going to just simply follow you. Lastly, unbelief will find supporters. You notice that Jeroboam had no trouble finding supporters. He went out there and he said, okay, this could happen to me and they could kill me. Now let's come up with a plan. All of a sudden he's got all kinds of people around. Let's make some golden calves. Let's get some priests here. Let's do all these things we ought not to do. When you begin to reject God and when you begin to be a person that lets your imagination run wild, when you begin to do all that, guess what? There will be all kinds of people who will be right there helping you. Amen? Be careful! Unbelief finds support very easily. So this brings us to point number two: Do not replace simple faith in God then with human cleverness. Just don't do that. Story is told. I don't know if the story is true. I said this first hour. I want to make sure that I I uh, say this accurately. I have the story in my notes. I have no idea where I got it from. I don't have no idea if it's true, but it has a good point. So can you just take the point away, not knowing if the story is true or fictitious? Are you okay with that? Because I don't want to say something that I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a good story. It makes a good point. So the is told of a church in the Smoky Mountains that built a new sanctuary on the side of a mountain that they bought, purchased. And then they put a parking lot in the front there where there was some flat ground. The building inspector came and said, nice church, parking lot's half the size it needs to be. You can't meet in the church your parking lot to double in size well the problem was they'd used up all the flat land all they had left was the side of the mountain behind the church so the pastor called the prayer meeting had membership of 300 25 showed up It's usually what happens with the prayer meeting i don't know why i said that but anyway that's what happens (laughs) i'm just gonna say that's what happens so they prayed for three hours and the next day the story continues on went something like this in the morning early on the pastor heard a knock on his uh, office door and the gentleman asked if he could come in and talk to him and he was a construction foreman. and he takes off his hard hat, walks in and says, uh, I have a proposal for you. I hope that this is something you're open to. I'm trying to put in a, a supermarket, a, a mall complex down the road here and we need a lot of fill. And I noticed you have this like dirt behind your church, side of a mound. Can we just come dig that out? And as payment for digging it out we'll pave that, make your parking lot twice as big. And the pastor said, sure, that sounds good. And the story goes on to say the next week they had a lot more people at the prayer meeting. I don't know if that was the point of the story or what. But, but you know what, what here's, here's the point I want you and I to take away. So faced with some adversity, and oftentimes of our own making, we tend to do everything but seek God in trying to solve it. Usually we try to, by our cleverness, figure out what to do like Jeroboam did. We come up with elaborate schemes and we go down multiple iterations. And then when none of that works out, what do we do? Oh, God help. What I'm saying is, oh, God help needs to be first. That's all I'm saying here. I don't care if that story is true or not. That's not the point. Whatever you're facing, whether it be internally or originated, whether it's coming here, or whether it's external, true adversity, what should be your first response? Oh, God help. I'm going to follow your ways no matter what. I'm going to trust in you no matter what. Give me peace that takes the place of my anxiety. Go to God first. Don't go to him as plan D or E or F or whatever, okay? Um, Here's the sad result of Jeroboam's cleverness. Jeroboam's cleverness led to false religion, led the people astray, and there's some takeaways here. I'm always amazed. Okay, Jeroboam and, and his advisors, they come up with this scheme. We're going to create these golden calves. We're going to do our own priests. We're going to, you know, what we're doing is creating all new icons and we're going to have new priesthood and we're going to meet in different places. Why would the people follow? What happened there? And there's some takeaways for us here because sometimes we get all caught up in each other's cleverness and scheming. Let's, let's talk on some takeaways here. This morning, uh, following God will not always be convenient, first of all. That's why the people were receptive to what, to what Jeroboam was doing. It's super convenient. Oh, don't go all the way to Jerusalem. That's going to be a hassle. I don't want to make following God a hassle for you. I'm going to make this convenient. Just hang around here. We're going to create some gods. Here's some golden calves. he took you out of, you know, Egypt, Israel. And, and, but God's people must understand something. Following God is never very convenient. Amen? And it can't be about convenience. The Bible uses phrases like, take up your cross and follow Christ. Meaning take up the burden of ministry that God has given you that's going to be difficult and follow hard after him. The cross is it's not an easy thing. All right? Now, the words that are used to describe the follower of God are words like this. Servant. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Phrases like this, think of others first. Count it all joy when you suffer like Christ. And in your suffering, you become like him. Those are the words that are used for us and phrases that are used for us as followers of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, come follow Jesus, it's going to be fairly convenient. It's not. But what a life we're called to, amen? Now listen, what a life we're called to. It's a life full of what? Divine purpose. It's nothing like it. It's a life of joy, extravagant joy. It's a life where we experience the lavish love of God. Did you like the songs we sang today? The reckless love of God? Come on now. Is that not good or what? Do you enjoy coming here? Fellowship of saints? Seeing each other? You sure appear to. Out in the foyer, there's a lot of happy faces. Where do you get this? Anywhere else? True community like this. The the, the benefits of following God... Far away any inconvenience, amen? Do you agree with me on that? I'm gonna ask again, because I need some affirmation up here. Do you agree that following God and all the benefits far away is any inconvenience, amen? Thank you, that's good. Be wary, here's the second takeaway be wary because false religions mimic. False religions mimic. Jeroboam didn't come up with something new, he just mimicked the real thing. Here's what God's going to look like now. Here's the new icons. Here's some golden calves. Here's a new priesthood. Now, don't worry that they're not Levi or whatever. Don't worry. He mimicked. Here, here we're, going to, we're going to create a holiday that kind of looks like the old holiday we did, but it's here where it's convenient. And he didn't create anything real new. What did he do? He mimicked, and it was all falsely based. So be wary, God's people, that we don't succumb to that which mimics the real thing. Okay? We have to ruthlessly stick to the Lord Jesus Christ and our lives have to be centered on him. Now, the real sad part of the story of Jeroboam is that it ended in judgment. The very thing he was trying to avoid, having the kingdom ripped away from him, transpired because he let his imagination run away from him and followed after it with all kinds of cleverness and scheming. Listen to this last piece of, of scripture here from 1 Kings 14 and then we'll wrap up. At that time... Um, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, became ill. Jeroboam said to his wife, go disguise yourself so you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. Ahijah, the prophet, is there, the one who told me I would be king over his people. Take 10 loaves of bread with you, some cakes and a jar of honey and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's wife did what, what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Ahijah could not see. <laughs> Do you see the irony of this? Go disguise yourself. Ahijah couldn't see. His sight was gone because of his age. Good that you made a disguise. But the Lord had told Ahijah, and this was even the second funny. You can laugh. This is hilarious. Had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son, for he is ill, and you are to give her such and such an answer. When she arrives, she'll pretend to be someone else. Hmm. So when Ahijah hear, heard the sound of her footsteps at the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Wow, that worked, didn't it? the disguise, why this pretense? I have been sent to you with some bad news. Go tell Jeroboam this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, but you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who live before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made out of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Because of this, I'm going to bring disaster in the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. I'll burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it's all gone. Where did the scheming of Jeroboam get him? The very thing he feared in his heart was what? Being killed, having the kingdom ripped from him. Where did all that scheming and cleverness get him? Right to that end. Isn't that sad? But let's talk about this takeaway. First of all, I don't know, why did he send his wife? Why didn't he go? At any rate, that's another point for another time. But God sees through cleverness and pretenses. That's another takeaway. I, I think it's humorous. Hello, wife of Jeroboam. Why the pretense? Listen, we don't fool God one bit by our pretenses and our cleverness. God doesn't get fooled by our cleverness. We have to understand that's one of the big takeaways of this whole story about Jeroboam. We should just quit doing that. It just doesn't work anyway. Why this pretense, God says to to the wife of Jeroboam, so why do we think we can pretend and live a make-believe life, and be clever, and do all this kind of stuff, because God knows and sees anyways, amen? So what should we do? Follow them simply in faith. Don't overthink. First of all, sometimes things that are happening here are just imagination. Make sure that if they're just imagination of what is or what could be, that they're kept in their proper place. And rebuke yourself. I do that when I'm running sometimes. I'll be praying, and I'll think, you know, I've been worried about this. I pray out loud when I run, so if you hear me praying out loud when I'm running, I'm okay. I'm lucid, all right? I just want you to know that. I just So I'm, sometimes I'm worried about this and that, and I think, that's not a problem. So I just say, God, take that away from me. That's not a problem. It's not real. Give me your peace instead. It's not even a problem yet. I'm not even going to act like it's a problem because it's not happening. It probably never will happen. Do that. Because some diversity, like I said, that we face in life comes from where? inside ourselves and never ever come up with clever plans. Instead, simply follow God as directly as you can. Just have that be a rule of life. I'm going to just follow directly after God as much as I can, and I'm going to leave the scheming uh, to the Jeroboam's life. How about that, huh? Do that. And then, you know what? Adversity is being changed from a foe to a friend. Let's pray, and we're going to close the song today. God, I thank you for uh, this example of Jeroboam that we can learn from and I know that it's a, it's, it's a problematic in our culture right now that uh, I think there's just a lot of stress and a lot of busyness that's going on in life all over the place. And sometimes our minds are so active, they're almost out of control. And we begin to imagine things and hear things and devise all kinds of scenarios in our minds that may never even play themselves out. And I pray what you would grace us, lord with this morning is this understanding of of that dynamic within ourselves and ability to discern what's real and what's not real and for sure lord we would just be people will faithfully follow our heart after your ways god forgive us when we come up with clever plans and scheming when really what you want from your people is simply adherence to your divine ways whether they make sense to us or not so I pray that we would be a people here at Grace Point known as ones who follow after you hard, Lord, and who embrace your ways wholeheartedly. And uh, God, I, I just pray that we would be people who in a sense have this simple faith, doing right because in you we are right, Lord, just following hard after you. I just pray that's who we are as your people, Lord. And keep our minds stayed on, Jesus. Keep our hearts at peace, I pray, Lord. And I know that when two adversities come our way, you'll grace us for that, Lord. You'll provide us with understanding. You'll provide us with the ability to to discern and and, and all that that we'll need at that moment. But Lord, if we haven't faced the moment yet, then your grace really isn't available. And therein lies a lot of source of anxiety, I think, in, in life for people. What they're imagining isn't even taking place. What they're worried about hasn't even occurred. And there's no grace on your part to deal with that because it's not real. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be people who understand this and stand fast in you and hold tightly to you, Lord. And I pray you just fill us all with the Holy Spirit, God. And I pray that there would be a true joy here, that we'd rejoice in the lavish love you poured out on us, the reckless love we sang about today, Lord. I just pray that God, that that would be a song singing in our heart all day long. We love you, Jesus, and all God's people said